Lawyer Talk Q&A. Steve Palmer here. What we've been doing with this Q&A series is taking some of the, the regular common questions as well as some of the unique ones that we get, not only on the website, that's lawyertalkpodcast.com, but also some of the questions I get upstairs in the law firm at Yavich and Palmer, ohiolegaldefense.com. The idea is to create a place where we can just answer these questions, have, uh, for those who just want to go and access the questions only without uh, the podcast itself, uh, this is where you can do it. So in case you haven't figured it out yet, you can submit your own question at lawyertalkpodcast.com. You can go to ohiolegaldefense.com upstairs at the uh, law firm uh, and submit a question there. Just give me a shout, 614-224-6142. That brings us to the question of the day. And, you know, it's sort of ironic because uh, I haven't even published the last question yet, and it had to do with uh, should I talk to the police um, when I've been – either under investigation or the police are knocking at your door. And this question uh, I received yesterday uh, up in the law firm, and it had to do uh, more broadly, I suppose, with uh, the general investigative stages of a case. And so often I get calls like this where uh, somebody is under investigation, and it just seems uh, probably not coincidentally, but uh, for good reason, it seems that there's a lot of folks who, who deal with this while they're under investigation for an alleged sex offense, uh, say like an acquaintance uh, sexual assault where two folks hooked up and uh, maybe the other is is claiming that it wasn't so consensual. And uh, the person that calls is saying, no, it was consensual. And uh, they hear that there's an investigation. And maybe they hear that because the police have talked to one of their friends or maybe the police have actually uh, knocked on their door directly uh, and they have taken the, they have heeded the advice that I gave uh, the other day on uh, on not talking to the police, and they've called me instead, and they come into my office and they want some advice on how to deal with this. So the scenario is basically this: you're under investigation for a crime. Let's just, um, for purposes of uh, of this discussion, say it's a an alleged acquaintance rape. So, uh, and the police want to talk to you, and you know the case is coming. Um, what do we do? Uh, and I, you know, there's no right answer here that fits all. There's no cookie cutter response. We take every case individually and analyze it and assess it and uh, decide the best course of action. And uh, this is an important part of what I do. I think this is an important part of any criminal defense strategy is that you can't just follow the textbook all the time because every situation is a little bit unique. Every situation has its own nuance and every situation needs its own unique solution. That's not to say that some of the solutions aren't the same uh, as others, but uh, it, we always start sort of at go and get to know the case first. And that's probably a more detailed discussion for another question. But uh, generally speaking, what do you do when you're under investigation? I call this uh, the minefield. I, and the best analogy I've come up with over the years is this. It's almost like somebody uh, or you fell asleep and then in the middle of the night, uh, somebody uh, plucked you out of your bed and placed you in the middle of a minefield. And the mines, you know they're there, and you wake up and you know the mines are there, but you don't know where they are, and you're just standing there. And if you take any step in the wrong direction, uh, the danger, of course, is you're going to step on a mine and blow yourself up, and 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 that's it. Um, but you don't just want to stay there. Uh, it's a very uh, precarious place to be. So uh, in, in this is really how it feels, I think, when you're under investigation. I, I think the natural reaction is, I got to do something. I want to do something. But the problem is you may not know where the mines are. You don't know how big the minefield is. You don't know even necessarily who the person on the other side uh, who put the mines there, uh, who that is. 
Uh, there's, there's too many variables and unknowns. So when people come to my office and we go through this, the first thing I do is I get their side of the story. I figure out what, what we think it is. And uh, then we try to think through and reason through the problem. Imagine that. Actually use uh, common sense, logic, reason, experience, and try to figure out the parameters of the problem the best we can. Uh, and then we try to decide on a course of action. And all too often, or maybe not all too often, but very often, uh, the course of action is to stay put in the middle of the minefield. And that is a very, very difficult thing for folks to do. People like to do things. They like to, when, when anxiety hits, when when that uh, those that stomach, the, the butterflies or the angst in your stomach and throat hits, the natural reaction is, I got to do something. And I suppose there's a flight or fight response. So, you know, you, you want to fight or you want to run, but it's really difficult to do nothing. Yet that is most of the time exactly what the individual has to do. Now, it's not necessarily what I have to do, but it is what they have to do. And here's what I mean by that. If by doing something, we mean we're going to go talk to the police. Well, we already know from other questions that that is not a good move. We don't want to just go talk to the police uh, because we don't know uh, where that mine is. We don't know what the exact questions are going to be. We don't know what they have and what they don't have, what they're alleging, what they're not alleging. We don't know if some of the simplest elements of this alleged offense uh, they can even make them. We, we just don't know. So by talking to the police, you risk stepping on a mine, uh, and it might even be a mine that blows up months in the, in the future, and you wouldn't have even known it. So that's not a good move. So you can't talk to the police. Uh, a lot of people want to reach out to the other side. This might be somebody uh, you've dated. It might be the alleged victim. might be some a friend of yours. It might be uh, a family member. It might be somebody on the other side that you think, well, I can just call this person and reason with them. Can't we just say, hey, look, let's just, let's just talk this through. Well, you can't do that. Here's how that plays out uh, a lot of times. Uh, you get a call or the person under investigation gets a call and it's the other side. Say it's your uh, ex-girlfriend calling just to say, hey, look, you know, I just want to talk about this. I can't believe that you did these things to me. Whatever the conversation is, and you, you think, all right, well, this is, a, this is an olive branch. This is a time whether I'm, even if I'm not guilty, I can at least maybe be conciliatory here and uh, I, can, I can find my own way through the minefield and I can talk my way out of it by just making this person realize that uh, I'm really a good guy. And, and all too often we do that, like I said, in a conciliatory fashion. We, we, we give them what they want to hear, even if it may not be true. So you start apologizing for things and you're apologizing because they're upset they think you're apologizing because uh, you're confessing or admitting to some guilt or responsibility. And guess what? The police are listening. Um, these calls are often recorded. They are often done in conjunction with a police detective sitting right next to them. Uh, and they're instructing the, the individual on how to record the call and even what to say. And then later on, uh, you, you, know, you think that you've talked your way out of it and you've done a good thing. And then I get the audio recording from the prosecutor in discovery after you've been indicted. And we talk about this and, and you're thinking, holy crap, I didn't, that's not what I meant to say. I mean, I was just trying to, I mean, all I was doing was trying to, to, to make her realize that I, I'm a good guy. And I, you can see where this goes. It goes to nowhere land and it looks like you've made a confession. You've stepped on the hidden mine and you didn't even know it. Uh, the, that sort of brings the next question, which is, what can I do? 
Um, and do I just have to stand here in the middle of the minefield? Well, the answer is sort of yes. Um, the answer is you do, but I don't. Uh, and as a, as a practical matter, just because you can't make any moves, it doesn't mean your attorney can't make any moves during the investigative stage. And some of the things that we can do, maybe it's like uh, the old basic psychology 101, we have to control our controllables. And I guess before I get to what I would normally do or the attorney can do, let's talk about controlling your controllables. All too often, uh, standing in the middle of minefield is wrought with anxiety and stress, and uh, it's that's when people tend to uh, go off the rails a little bit. So I, I, a lot of times I have people start to d- talk to a counselor, talk to a therapist, to find a support uh, structure, and it might just be a family member or a close friend, not to give details about the case, but to start focusing on what you can control, and that's your own mental health and well-being. Sometimes I tell people, believe it or not, look, start going to the gym and start blowing off steam that way. Uh, one of the worst things people do is they start drinking or partying or doing whatever, and they use those magic words, F it, and uh, whatever they do after that is uh, generally a bad thing. So I help people sort of get a grip on what they can control, and that's their own mental and physical health. Uh, because only then can we really uh, maximize the powers of our defense, which is our team. And, and the person accused is certainly part of that team. So your controllables would be, uh, I got to take care of myself. I have to help my attorney do what he or she needs to do. Uh, and then I can then I can stop focusing on the fact that I'm standing here in the middle of this minefield and I'm about to blow up if I move and, and instead shift my focus to the things that I can do that don't involve moving around in the minefield. Now, uh, the real question, what do what things can I do? Well, in a case I was working on yesterday, I have a client under investigation and we talked about what I can do. And here's the number one thing you can do. It involves uh, multiple facets, but the number one thing you can do is preserve and gather evidence for our defense. And I'm not talking about things that necessarily the police are going to do. I'm talking about the things maybe the police won't do. And in my situation and in, in many situations, the first thing I do is I talk to my client about his or her cell phone. What's on your cell phone? What's on your social media? Are there text messages? Are there Snapchats that you think are deleted that maybe not? Are there, uh, are there any videos, photos, anything there that could be of value? And here's what I mean by that. Um, we, even if you think you've deleted stuff from your phone, we can take your handset, send it to an expert, and, and see what can be gleaned from it. We can recreate what is there. We can uh, see if there's deleted text that can be recovered. We can see if deleted photographs or images can be recovered. We can have experts, or even we can do this in-house at times, check your backup accounts. Some people back their data up in Google or Apple or uh, even Verizon. You know, Most of these uh, cell phone companies have a proprietary backup system that you can get things. Um, we want to see if that evidence can be had. And, and we're looking for things like, um, say it's a, an, an allegation of, uh, of a sexual offense and there's an ongoing relationship and maybe you've deleted some of those texts because you just, uh, you just thought that was the right move um, over the years or over the months or over the days leading up to this. And uh, we want to see if we can get those back because it shows that there was uh, at least at one point leading up to this a prior friendly consensual uh, relationship. Maybe location data matters. It could be that there's an allegation that you committed a sexual assault or some other crime at a time and in a place, and you weren't there. And most people, it's hard to sort of realize it these days, but you're carrying around like your own digital DNA in your pocket or purse or uh, suit coat every day in the form of your phone. You're 
your phone is documenting so much of what you do. And if you have Google services, for instance, many experts can go and get location data every time you've pinged a tower or uh, accessed something by Google. There are times that they can go back and figure out where that handset was at that time. Um, you may have uh, location services in your car. You may have been with somebody else who has some location uh, services active. So if it matters where you were and what time you were there, then we may be able to gather that stuff. Now, again, this means this does not mean that you have to start moving around the minefield necessarily. You're not doing that. This is our controllables. These are things that were that are within our control. We also can talk about whether there's any witnesses that we can interview. And at this stage, we have to make, uh, we have to make some decisions. There are going to be witnesses who line up against us. It may not be the best move to interview those folks right away. It may be the best move to interview those folks right away. Those are decisions that we have to make, that the attorneys have to make with careful input uh, from our clients. Uh, but then there's almost always witnesses that line up on our side. And there's no reason not to get them locked in, get them interviewed now. And I don't mean just the attorney interview them. And I certainly don't mean that uh, the person under investigation should interview them. We get an independent, well, we, we get our own private investigator to conduct that interview professionally, document it, get the statement on paper, so to speak. So we have it locked in. That way, if somebody uh, forgets or if memories fade, say the case comes up two years later and they don't, it's sort of fuzzy, we have a memo, a witness statement, something documenting what they knew and what they said uh, when uh, the event was still fresh in their heads. You know, we want to get that down now. The other thing that happens is witnesses who are on our side now may not be on our side later. And to the extent they're willing to talk to us now, we want to do it. We want to get it locked in. And I've had this come up time and time again. And I've been so fortunate that I have learned uh, early on that if I lock in those witnesses now and they change their story later, uh, I at least have a version of the events that's favorable to us, and it's in writing, it's documented, and I have an investigator, a witness, that can come into court and verify it if I need to. There are often records that we can obtain right now. We can send out public records requests for documents. Maybe medical records matter, and we have access to medical records, even if it's our own medical records. Or maybe if it's our kids' medical records, uh, we have access to that now we want to send out the request and get them. So often in this day and age, there is surveillance footage out there. Um, if, if an incident, say it's an acquaintance rape allegation and it started at a date at a bar, many, many, many bars, restaurants, parking lots, even um, uh, just public streets have security cameras. And they, the problem with those cameras is that they overwrite every 24, 48 hours or they don't get preserved. And you have this small window of opportunity to go out there and, and make the request and, and get those things preserved. Um, now, it, it, it can be tricky because we don't have yet subpoena power. I, it's hard to go get court orders before there's even a case. But there are things that you can do. I mean, minimally, just go ask the owner to preserve it. Send letters to preserve it. And if you think that there's police involved, send, I, I've sent letters to the police and say, I understand there may be surveillance footage. I'm asking that you have it preserved. And guess what? If they don't, they have to answer uh, the questions later in court as to why not. Why did you let evidence get destroyed that you had some unique control over? These are things that we can do now, again, without moving around uh, in the minefield at all. Other things we can do are actually go check out the scene of an alleged event or alleged crime. 
I had a homicide case. It was a self-defense murder case. The police, uh, it was a shootout, literally a shootout in the middle of a residential street in Columbus, Ohio. And I, uh, I got the case the next day. I talked to my client and I sent my investigator out there immediately to start working the scene. Now you would think, well, didn't the police do that? Didn't the police already investigate everything that there was to uh, investigate out there? Well, I mean, I guess the answer is in a simple way is I don't know. Or in that situation, I didn't know, but I wanted to find out. So I sent my investigator. Now he was an old school uh, homicide, retired homicide detective, and he knew what he was doing. He knew how to how to investigate a crime scene. And we found stuff that the police left behind. We did things that the police didn't do, and our investigation turned out to be far more significant and thorough than the police investigation. And it even resulted in, uh, in full-blown pretrial hearings because we actually went out and uh, my investigator did what they used to call stringing the crime scene, and that means taking uh, doing a bullet trajectory analysis. Now, in modern day and age, they do that with lasers and they have high-tech equipment and, uh, you know, it, it's become um, a, a pretty developed science. In the old days, they would just take a string and uh, if there's two points, say a bullet passes through a wall, you can see generally what the trajectory is and you can take a string and run it, run it in a straight line between those two points and then take it back or forward as far as you want. And we did that and we documented it and we had it on paper and we took pictures of it. We even had video of it. And the police didn't do that. And at trial, the prosecution actually called the head of the state crime lab, BCINI, to try to discredit what we did. In other words, they didn't do any bullet trajectory analysis. They called the head of the state crime lab to uh, criticize our own bullet trajectory analysis and then somehow say that ours wasn't reliable. And you can imagine how that went. I mean, at the end of the day on cross-examination, I just basically asked this guy, so let me get this straight. You didn't go out there to look at the, the crime scene. No, nobody called you out there to look at the crime scene. No, nobody called you out there to actually do uh, your version, the high-tech version of a bullet trajectory analysis. No. And you guys have uh, some very high-tech equipment, lasers, tripods, mirrors, all the stuff that you've discussed here to do a proper bullet trajectory analysis. That's correct. And you know that in the old days, they didn't have that equipment. No, they used uh, basically a string and a couple of police officers to, uh, to just draw a straight line. Yes. And that was the best they had then. Yes. And that, that worked. Well, yeah, it sort of worked, but it would have been better if you had your own high-tech equipment. Yes. And you know that most people don't have high-tech equipment like that. Well, no, they don't. So the only way to really get that done is uh, if somebody calls you. Yeah. So let me get this straight. You didn't go out there, no. You didn't do your own test, no. And the only reason they called you then is what? Just to criticize what we did? And he's like, well, yeah. And, I, and then the final question was, I'll bet you wish that you had a chance to go out there and verify it. Oh, yeah, I, I, I do. And you can't say that anything we did was, was wrong or bad. No, no, I really can't. Just we would have done it differently with modern equipment. All right. Well, you know, it turns out that that was the linchpin of our case. And the only reason we had the ability to present that evidence at a trial is because we went out and did it the day after the incident. We were My client was stuck in his minefield, but I wasn't stuck. I could go do things, and I did go do things, and my investigator did things that ended up breaking the case later. Now, that doesn't mean my client, who had every urge to go talk to the police, had every urge to go talk to the other side or, or do whatever, you know, he, wasn't, he was frustrated, but he was stuck in the minefield, and at least he knew that things were getting done and it made him feel a little bit uh, 
less anxious and a little more comfortable with the fact that we were doing what we can. We were controlling our controllables. So to sum it up, what do you do when you're under investigation? Well, the first thing you should do is call us, 614-224-6142. But understand here, you're in a minefield and you don't know where the mines are. And sooner or later, you will. Sooner or later, somebody will come and show you where they are. Sooner or later, uh, you'll get the map. We'll get the case. We'll get discovery. And we'll understand what we can do and what we can't do. And uh, the pressure will ease. But early on, you're stuck in that minefield and you cannot move. That doesn't mean you can't make moves, though. You just have to do it carefully. You have to do it with the advice of a good criminal defense attorney. And you have to do it with a calculated purpose. So another riveting Q&A session with Lawyer Talk Q&A. If you have your own questions or you want to get something answered, you can uh, check us out at lawyertalkpodcast.com. Submit a question there. You can always call the law firm 614-224-6142 or look it up at ohiolegaldefense.com. We have an email portal there. You can send your questions that way. And we'll do our best either to talk to you in person. If it's an ongoing legal matter, of course, we'll do that privately and in a privileged setting. But uh, if you want your question addressed here, just let us know and uh, we'll take care of it. So until next time, this is Lawyer Talk Q&A, off the record, on the air, at least until now.